You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to Homeless Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Robert Thomas. And Lux Cardone. And we're recording on July 5th, 2020. Week, I don't know, of quarantine. <laughs> the days seem to run together. <laughs> what is a day anymore? The days, the weeks, <laughs> the months, the the 20 years that uh, that April involved. You know... <laughs> Yeah, it's like June was a month. It came and went. Uh, but yeah, and uh, also, sorry everybody who's actually upset that we are a week late in putting out an episode. We kind of, I dropped the ball in doing that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, rabble, oh, yeah, rabble, rabble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to do, I wanted to do um, the American Revolution, but it was kind of just like, I couldn't figure out a good way to do it that made sense that would have been like useful rather than just being like, so yeah, we won the war. Yeah, America. But, uh, yeah, that's probably what it have devolved to uh, if we had tried. <laughs> yeah, that would have been something. But uh, maybe next year. Um, More time so, for you to get your creative juices flowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll forget. I'll forget until next year. And then we go, oh, shit. Here we are. Um, so we're talking about China, India. Uh, so a second, second episode in a row, we're doing China. But uh, the kind of spat that's happened there in the recent weeks and months, really, and really, well, years, I guess. The whole, the whole, sh- the whole, uh, whole thing of it. But before we jump to that, what is everybody drinking? I guess I can start it off. I've got a uh, Weekend Vibes IPA uh, from Coronado Brewing. I'm here in San Diego right now, so I thought this was a fitting uh, beer to grab from the fridge. Um, Weekend vibes, and there's another one here called Leisure Lagoon, which kind of describes my July 4th experience. Just kind of <laughs> sitting on a pool floaty, shaped like a T-Rex. Um, I was, I was, I was in a good place, mentally, spiritually, all that good stuff. So, I'm uh, glad you had that experience. Mm-hmm. Rob, what you drinking? I'm drinking a Campo Viejo Rioja red wine. Nice. One of my one of my go-to's that I pick up a lot. And I am drinking from Thin Man Brewery, Tri- Trial by Wombat. What? Look at the can. Oh my god. <laughs> the most terrifying animal. It needs to be shot. <laughs> so it's basically the, the can has like a, it's a really close up, like horrifying picture of a wombat. And the only reason that's in my house is because my buddy Tom, uh, Tom Tom's been on the podcast a couple times, but um, he, he went to the grocery store to get some stuff. Uh, so I had a couple people over to do like, social distancing and stuff. Uh, for four this is, and he said, this is the beer that reminds me of you. <laughs> harsh, harsh. But uh, he's, he's like, it looks ridiculous. I have to give this. Like, I'm so glad you did because I'm going to drink on the podcast tomorrow. <laughs> and he, well, how is it? It's good. It's a really good IPA. They they do solid ones. I, I, I just remember uh, we did the uh, globalization event uh, that I drank Diplomatic Immunity and got drunk on the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, mine's very. I, I really enjoy these San Diego IPAs. They're really light and crisp, uh, but they're still 
six and a half, seven percent. Um, yeah, so it's, I, it's not too hot forward. Yeah, I, I, I love Stone from. Uh, yeah, I feel like Stone's been getting. I, I we've had Stone a lot out here. It feels like it's getting less interesting, more corporate. Um, there's yeah. like. I think they got bought. They were bought. I think that Anheuser Busch picked them up. So maybe there's some ingredient changes going on that I'm not a huge fan of. So do better, Stone. Um, now I'm sad. <laughs> but uh, talking about another sad thing, uh, Rob, what what's uh, going on in the giant Chinese India border? Yeah, well, I guess to start with, border is kind of a tricky word to even <laughs> talk about here. Um, this space that occupies between their two countries. Yeah, I mean, for for several decades, there, there's been a pretty significant ongoing dispute uh, between India, China, and also Pakistan about a, a stretch of territories up in the Himalayan mountains. And over the last couple of weeks, there's been an escalation uh, of tensions that, that really kind of kicked off in early May. Um and involved for the first time in, in many years a clash between Indian and Chinese troops that involved a noticeable number of casualties. Numbers are, are still kind of hard to come by. Uh, on the Indian side, they've reported like tw- 20. Uh, about 20. Um, the Chinese side has not released any numbers but have just indicated casualties on both sides i just i just uh, want to i want to stop and highlight something part of the clash it was not with firearms it was of like clubs right. and melee weapons and just like blunt instruments and just beating it, it was a it was a medieval battle basically yeah yeah and I most mean, people part, most people died from it for because they were fight this this is a very as we're going to get into this is a very mountainous location and that contributed that in the cold and the heights contributed to the casualty count yeah barely threw people from close so right yeah incredibly inhospitable terrain up there so that's i mean that's one of the reasons why delineating a a meaningful border let alone operating up there in any meaningful way is extremely challenging and complex Uh, but yeah i mean that typically troops patrolling the area have had sort of restrictions on access to weapons and things like that specifically to try and keep things from escalating uh well clearly that didn't didn't hold it back uh this time and that's that's triggered a a whole bunch of additional uh maneuvering and escalation of tensions uh between both countries all of which is made especially tricky because not only is is there a dispute about who has sovereignty over a pretty decent sized chunk of territory up there there isn't even a particularly clearly delineated like de facto border there's something called the line of actual control um in terms of where each side tends to to operate but that's not even particularly clearly demarcated it's it's not like you can just point to specific spots on the map and resolve any ambiguity and say, well, as long as no one crosses exactly here, then the status quo is stable. It's it's a lot messier than that. 
So, I mean, so, the, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, this is a this is a decades-old dispute that, I mean, escalated to actual warfare back in the 60s. Um, but now it's escalating again in a situation where both countries are nuclear-armed powers um, with very different military capabilities in a conventional sense than either of them had back in 62, um, and a lot more economic integration. So it's a very different situation than it, than it was last time there was a, a serious armed clash. And, of course, lots of other countries uh, around them have a pretty big stake in what either of those two countries is doing. Right. None more than Pakistan, right? And um, how they kind of recently, I mean, historically, they're more U.S. aligned. Recently, they've been China's camp. Um, but and obviously, they've had this uh, they've had tension both hot and cold uh, with India since uh, independence and the partition in 1947. Um, they're all, they, um, one of the regions, um, Aksai Chin is actually, um, on, it's kind of straddles one of the main corridors down to a Chinese controlled or not controlled Chinese owned port in the South of Pakistan. So that, um, we've done a couple episodes on the belt and road. Um, you can listen yeah. to those. Um, that's, uh, a, what, what I, what Rob spoke to is economic integration. There's also the, the you know, the physical logistics lines that are um, maybe that were not as significant in the last time China and India fought. So, yeah, I mean that that I think raises the question of why does anyone care about this inhospitable chunk of territory up in the mountains anyway? Mm -hmm. And part of it is sort of genuinely practical about things like logistical corridors and water resources. Um, water. I mean, That's up a in huge the Himal yeah. Himalayas and, and the Tibetan plateau and, and surrounding areas, huge amount of the, the, the freshwater, uh, river sources for much of, uh, both South and East Asia draw on glaciers and, and sources up, up in that area so it's extremely sensitive in in that respect and then of course there's just a question of of nationalism i mean one of the things that's sort of a distinct factor right now is that i mean both the the current indian administration and the chinese communist party have in recent years sort of played up populist nationalism to a, a pretty high degree and as part of their own sort of way to shore up support. And that has its uh, side effects too, among other things, making it much harder to back down or be seen as making any concessions in heated conflicts uh, because of the risk of getting huge domestic blowback. Which, I mean, for the Indian administration uh, becomes a potential electoral challenge uh, for the Chinese Communist Party that 
sort of feeds concerns about maintaining the legitimacy of one party rule, which is a perennial concern of theirs on multiple fronts. Yeah, I mean, China took took it really up, they upscaled the, the whole situation by moving troops to places where they had never been before, and like based on strategic locations throughout the region, like five thousand some odd troops, and like it's it's very much like I think it's like it's like domestic posturing almost because it's just kind of like oh look, look how strong we are we don't need to we're not yeah. gonna back. we're just, we're just gonna double down yeah so the situation now um, China has clear local superiority in terms of men and hardware, but it's not as one-sided as you may think um, in terms of if something, if things do deteriorate further. Right. I mean, it depends on sort of what, what scale you're looking at. Um, I mean, whether you're zoomed into, to just sort of a couple of these, these pockets um, of direct interaction and clashes, or whether you're looking at sort of broader resources in theater, uh, so, I mean, part of part of what's important to understand, I think, is that this hasn't been a static situation uh, in the the years prior to May of 2020. Uh, it's it's not like nothing was changing in the meantime. There's been a lot of uh, development of infrastructure by both India and China. Um, particularly with an eye towards logistics to help troops and military hardware travel more effectively in and around the region. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've been sort of monitoring each other's developments on that front. Um, Then you have uh, various sort of related domestic considerations that the, that each country is watching with the other. I mean, you, you have uh, what happened with, India basically revoking the uh, status as a state of Indian-controlled Kashmir um, as a recent development and having a national government-led crackdown in that region. Um, Of course, we've seen in recent years an increasing uh, push on the Chinese side to aggressively consolidate control of Xinjiang and Tibet. two major parts of the country that uh, butt up against this region. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that's been shifting around on the ground before this clash happened. And now they're sort of maneuvering and jockeying for, for position in this sort of tricky dance of, (laughs) yeah, but it's sort of this tricky dance of how do you, how do you try to de-escalate things and keep them from getting worse when you're also worried about positioning your your people and resources to respond decisively if it does escalate? Right. And nobody wants to be the first one to back down um, for domestic political reasons, obviously, you know, um, that'll, that'll both, a, as you, you talked about, the um, playing to nationalistic populism that both um, the Chinese and the Indians have sort of, there's been uh, currents of that in both Chinese and Indian domestic politics. politics. Um, so yeah, there's, there doesn't, and with the U.S. essentially absent from the region now diplomatically, there isn't 
um, as much of an off ramp as there typically has been in, um, you know, in past conflicts between India and China, India and Pakistan. Um, I mean, I mean, India's fired the first shot by banning TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> no more savage dances. How how is how is India gonna start? <laughs> well, hit so the more it hurts, right in the TikTok. I'll get those Chinese bastards. <laughs> but of course, it, it wasn't just it wasn't just TikTok. India banned uh, a whole bunch of very popular uh, Chinese mobile apps uh, recently, which gets I mean it gets to the fact that in addition to sort of the directly military uh, conditions here there's an economic dimension as well um, it, right now it seems like India is is doing more to try and sort of use different economic sticks um, as a way to put pressure on China rather than the other way around despite the fact that China probably has more economic leverage over India than the reverse um, in in aggregate terms. Um, but so, I mean, you, you have the possibility of an escalation in a military sense. You also have the possibility of an escalation into a longer, deeper trade war. Yeah. Trade war. And if you have a trade war, I mean... Trade wars are good both, and easy to win. Of course. As <laughs> Yeah. But even if you have a trade war, it's... <laughs> It's just, yeah, obviously, if both sides of this go toe-to-toe and dig in their heels, China clearly has the the, uh, the space to outlast India in this. But, like, they'll get hurt, too. And with COVID and uh, the global instability was seeing, the last thing they need is um, uh, more Wait. economic distress in do there. You, do you think that some of this was like because of COVID? They're like, it was just like a power move? Just because like they've been getting hit in the face of it a lot. Yeah, uh, so I don't. I I doubt it. Um, I mean, two reasons. One, the sort of trigger for this this latest bout of clashes is still really murky, and so far does not really look like there is a calculated move by either by either country's leadership to like deliberately try and ramp up tensions uh it's very possible that what you had was a a very local mess erupt because of just the confusion of the whole situation on the ground and tensions as it is and oh by the way at the altitudes we're talking about everyone's like prone to altitude sickness and all things. Uh, <laughs> they're not thinking straight I- implications yeah, on I've... on on brain function um because of the implication yeah, yeah we've but... seen I, it, like there's been videos for years of these troops i mean someone some genius out there decided to not arm these troops who patrol the border um on both sides so you but you keep seeing these videos of like small units getting into fisticuffs and pushing and shoving and shouting at each other. Like that's clearly like the phrase fisticuffs. fisticuffs. Uh, it's, it's very old. It's very old timey. So very yeah, like throwing, was... throwing rocks. I mean, you think, you think, yeah. you think China's installing tribuches already in their positions? Maybe. Or like, uh, <laughs> slingshots. I don't know. It's, it's just, it seems like a lot of very poor local leadership amid the lower tier to mid tier officers combined with not 
a lot of confusion and a lack of direction from the brass, so to speak, and the political leadership of both countries. So it's it's a mess. <laughs> well, and, I mean, even if you had sort of your best case scenario in terms of, of good leadership on the ground, the the geographic and sort of ecological conditions themselves are just so inherently challenging and confusing to navigate right. in. Like you're talking about this incredibly crazy convoluted web of mountains and valleys and glaciers. Oh, by the way, they're all melting. Glaciers, <laughs> glaciers move. They're not yeah. totally yeah. fixed. So you put so, down. A so like even the geographic reference points that people would use to to try and keep some sense of stability of what's where and who can be where are not always reliably stable. That's a really good point. Just it's such a dynamic environment. You can't like, oh, here's the river. That side's your side. This side's our side. It's just so. Um, the wor- it's, <laughs> it's really the world's worst place to have a territorial dispute. Well, and at least my my understanding is that there's never really been a time when this particular region of the world has had clear and obvious border delineation there have been well there have been plenty of cases where a particular power has controlled like specific mountain passes for example but it's really hard to meaningfully delineate or manage borders cutting through like several mile high (laughs) mountains yeah uh you can't you, control borders that, like, I mean, you can't, especially the mountains themselves, you can't, it's almost impossible for people to survive up there. Um, so that precludes any real control or any ter- permanent fixed presence. All right, I'm going to, yeah. because this is such a, a um, an uplifting topic, I'm cracking Leisure Lagoon, so... <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, speaking of bodies of Here. water, one of the... Uh, one of the sort of interesting sidebars of this uh, is that there is actually a large alpine lake uh, in this area. Uh, the Bangong Tso, I think I'm pronouncing that reasonably correctly, um, where there are naval skirmishes between the Chinese and Indians with patrol boats uh, because the control of the lake itself is actually disputed. Course, alongside much of, of the course. and it's and it's up like a mile high in the mountains there's this lake that they're just oh my god playing back what's, what's next yeti are yetis going to be brought into the conflict like well that's the uh, <laughs> wild card uh the wild card third <laughs> party snowman where, where are they who knows who knows maybe it was the yetis that actually uh triggered the initial clash and uh just fixed things to make it look like it was one side or the other to set them against each other Dude, Yetis play the long game. I'm, I'm telling you. You got to when you're uh, managing those inhospitable conditions. Well, inhospitable for you, maybe. Not for Yeti. <laughs> Not for Yeti. The Yeti just really want to go back to the good old days when they can lounge on the beaches of their Himalayan alpine lakes without being harassed by local soldiers. Is that too much to ask? Apparently, apparently it is. Yeah, something like like what now is kind of the question. 
Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's that's kind of a, a a hard thing to gauge because I mean, like we were talking about, there's sort of a catch twenty two about if you do things to de-escalate um, some of the things that make that most credible involve undermining your own military position um, and vice versa things that you would do to prepare militarily if things go poorly make you look more aggressive and make it harder to de-escalate so I mean on that front it's, it's hard to gauge, but it's, I think there's a really a really heavy chance of at least a continued higher degree of local clashes. Um, certainly, there there are at least some voices in media and political circles in both countries that are sort of calling for preparation for a more aggressive, like small or medium scale war. Um, as opposed to focusing primarily on de-escalation. How much influence those voices have in actual policy-making circles, hard to gauge, especially on the, on the Chinese side where things are not exactly transparent. Um, what? I, I know. I, I might have just Shocking, blown, blown some minds <laughs> there with that yeah. revelation. Yeah. Um, but I mean that that of course ties to what we talked about before about nationalist populism uh, as a domestic factor. So I mean, really hard to gauge on on that front. I do think that there's a there's also a really high chance of greater economic escalation if if the broader situation isn't sort of cooled down. Uh, because I think that's that's an area where either side could see a a way to be seen as doing something mm-hmm. that has less direct risk than yeah. than military efforts that could escalate into a, a fairly serious conflict. Yeah, you're already seeing, I mean, we, we talked about Pakistan before, but I think last week there was an attack on the Islamabad stock market, of which China, I think, controls about 40% of it. Um, and they it, the, the attack was linked, I don't know, Ryan, if you know more about this than I do, you can correct me, but it was linked to the Balochi uh, independence movement. And yeah. there's, there's another one in Sindh province, which borders India, that the Pakistanis have accused the Indians of financing proxies like they do in Kashmir. Um, I mean, there's there's a there's a, been been a long time of like Pakistanis killing Chinese workers and shit like that. It's yeah. not something that's new. Like even like the years and they kidnap workers and that because they're either taking jobs or because like, the Chinese right. don't like do a good thing like oh we hire locals they don't do that ever so they no. kind of piss everybody off. So on the ground in Pakistan, you're saying there's a lot of resentment. So, I mean, there. I mean, there's the government probably is cool because they're getting money, but like, right. you know, the economic shit. But people, I mean, I think it, it's not super pro-China. It's not. It's not like, oh, hey, our best friend China. It's just like, oh yeah, these guys. Yeah. But it is important to note that, like, yeah. So the idea of you know these dueling proxy wars, 
um, that don't get much attention in, um, you know, in Western media, but are definitely important for examining the context for these kinds of, um, you know, relationships or very, very frenemies, friends, enemies, frenemies, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, Pakistan kind of benefiting from China's Belt and Road Initiative, which we've talked about you know, a handful of fucking times. Yeah, we've uh, that we've talked about Hong Kong. We've talked about a lot of. So please go back and see our previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to, if you'd like to know, would you like to know more? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, uh, Starship Troopers, what a movie! We also did an episode on that. <laughs> Eureka. It's almost like that was planned. <laughs> I wish it was, and I could take credit for that, but... You're like, oh yeah, we did that. Shit, you're right. Yeah, we watched Starship Troopers, and we did the episode. Oh my god. We also read the books. Well, some of us read the yeah, books. I did not read the books. You know. <laughs> no books. We know. The books. We know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So, um, but, but, I mean, talking about... Pakistan, it's important to keep in mind that they are also a claimant to disputed territory in this same stretch of the, the Himalayas. So um, there's, a, there's a long history of uh, clashes between India and Pakistan and in this broader region as well. Uh, and Their militaries so- exist to fight each other. Yeah. And the occasion, not to mention the occasional coup, but we won't get into that. Um, oh, well. Yeah, in Pakistan. I mean, on the one hand, on the, on the surface, it seems like they would kind of have. Um, oh no, I have extra. I have this partner in China, and um, so you know, really stick it to our old adversary, India. But they are very hesitant to get involved in this because they have their own. Um, internal and external issues um, going on. So uh, to find out. So, so they've been um, I think sort of on the there's, fence. There's, there's, no need, there's no need for us to get involved. Right. It's and the, of... the idea about Kashmir, the, um, they're, short, they're, they're more focused on that. So you can go back to <laughs> go back to our other episode about Kashmir. <laughs> yeah, Kashmir if you can. Mm-hmm. Brilliant fucking title. <laughs> uh, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> thanks, Kevin. <laughs> But I mean, even if even if uh, Pakistan's probably not all that likely to get very directly and obviously engaged uh, in what's going on between China and India at this point, I mean, given given this sort of interconnected web of territorial disputes between the three in this this broader region, they're definitely going to be watching this very very closely, and it's going to inform how they approach navigating their own subsets of disputed territories for years to come. I mean, this is, this is something that their intelligence and policy folks will be watching like Hawks. Oh yeah. They're definitely, they're not, they're not, they're not going to be involved, but they're definitely going to observe and see what happens. And they bring it up later. Like, Hey, remember that one time you did this thing? Like, just well, imagine it's going to inform what they expect going forward from uh, from either India or China in in related kinds of disputes. So they're I mean they're going to factor what happens now into their calculations about 
these other territorial questions uh, and and about their interactions with both countries more broadly. But I mean, as a whole, like it's I think easy to look at these territorial disputes sort of in isolation as a fundamentally bilateral question, but that's not really true. They're part of a broader context for both India and China. Uh, both both countries have territory, both territorial disputes and just generally complex and often tense relationships with a whole bunch of other neighboring or nearby countries. So lots of other <laughs> lots of other countries in yeah. East and South and Southeast Asia are going to be, although maybe in a less directly obvious way than Pakistan, a lot of other countries are going to be watching this situation and factoring how they engage India and or China uh, and their relationships with them based on all of this. Well, I mean, China just being king asshole recently of all kinds of shit, too. Like, And so is so, India. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they didn't uh, put a national security law in Hong Kong. It's going to ruin their ruin that place, but hey. No, but they annexed um, their portion of... Uh, they officially annexed their portion of Kashmir. So that's uh, another yeah, big escalation. Yeah, that'll go well. There are no, I can just imagine the frantic cables between the U.S. embassies and New Delhi, Beijing, and Islamabad. Like, how do we fix this? We have no resources. What do we do? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I mean, that's, oh, God. That's, that's another thing like, that people brought up. Like, now India might be more in talking to America, like, be better friends because of... Right. Like, as, a, as a fuck China kind of move. And that would... If they... I mean, right now, obviously, they're... Or not obviously, they're... Um, as the, the country that founded the non-aligned movement during the Cold War, they're very... Um, wary of getting involved in a block um, specifically, even though they have legitimate grievances with China and India, or sorry, China and uh, Pakistan. Um, there is a lot standing in the way of them and a full embrace um, of the U.S., uh, I guess, down there, Australia, New Zealand, that sort of Japan, um, that sort of uh, security sphere. Um, at the same time, if they do that, and they throw their hat on one side of this new Cold War, we're looking at a very tense situation all around. Well, and in the meantime, I, I think it's... It, it, it can be instructive in certain ways to think about those sort of block structures. Um, there's there's something meaningful about about that sort of analysis. But it's also important to keep in mind how complex the calculus and positioning of smaller countries can be in these situations. I mean, we have a situation right now where uh, you've got, for example, countries like Nepal and Bhutan um, that are kind of caught in the middle in some ways that are in some cases potentially tempted to align more with China now. Um, because of concerns over India, um, whereas of course there are there are smaller countries uh, in Southeast Asia, for example, who because 
China is the the bigger, more concerning challenge to them are either moving closer to the, the U.S. or to India or looking at different ways of seeing how they can kind of have it both ways um, and, and play yeah. different uh, different countries off against each other to, to maintain a greater degree of room for maneuver. So complicated, uh, complicated dynamics all around because you know the just incredible geographic uh, messiness of the disputed territories in the Himalayas wasn't enough complexity for this situation to start with yeah we need to drag in the regional and super regional uh issues and complexities that are inherently linked with this one specific one we're talking about today well and that that also kind of reminds me of a a point that i was going to make earlier when ryan you raised the question of what's the likelihood that some of this may have been sort of deliberate on on China's part to sort of deflect in some way from their challenges with, with COVID. And one of the reasons that I, I'm kind of skeptical of that is because I think this is actually a really unfortunate time for China to be navigating this, uh, this new point of tension because they are just absolutely ringed by other problems right now yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't need I, this <laughs> yeah i mean, I mean well, like maybe, well, maybe it's the easier thing like, is, a, is a, like a distraction almost it's like it's like a, it's like it gets the public to, like okay let's all hate any together cool i, I don't think they in because in the same rob i'm i defer to you in this but the, the, what i'm getting is that there's much more internal stoking up of this kind of anti-Chinese sentiment in India, um, because it's a, or in part because it's a much more open, much more accessible uh, country than China. Whereas in China, I mean, there's already a long history of state-controlled news, media, everything like that. So it's, I, I, it seems to me that there's there's more playing it up for domestic audiences is existing in India than China at this point, because the Chinese government has really never. Um, unless we're talking about internal subversion or something like that, they they don't um, have the same complications that the Indian the, the Indian the Indians do in in people accessing information, um, accurate numbers, accurate this and that. Yeah, I mean, to to some extent, but I I would certainly say that I mean, sort of grassroots level nationalist sentiment is definitely a a factor in China, even with. A, a pretty high degree of state control over media, but the cases where it's been stoked pretty strongly, I, I think you've seen a lot more of that with respect to to other uh, conflicts like China Japan relations, right. for example, in recent years than you've than you've seen recently with uh, domestic sentiment on India, because I mean, frankly, I. I also don't have the sense that the response to COVID in in China has been a particularly huge challenge to the legitimacy of the government right. um, at a domestic level in the way that certain other things. But I, I think right now, um, I mean, I, the COVID response has not been, from what I've seen so far at least, it, 
as much of a blow to domestic support for the Chinese Communist Party as as has actually been the case in many other countries' domestic politics. Um, I think right now it's international challenges that are much more of a concern for, for China. I mean, well, that and, and just general economic downturn, um, which, of course, has, has a wide range of implications. But I, right now they're navigating everything that's going on with uh, street protests in Hong Kong and international backlash to the new national security law that they've imposed there. They are, I mean, they're certainly seeing, I think, more international blame uh, over their their involvement in how the COVID pandemic developed uh, than they are seeing domestic uh, concern about that. And in the meantime, they have additional sort of festering territorial disputes with uh, Japan and with various claimants in the South China Sea, whole range of things. So, I mean, they're, they're quite literally geographically surrounded by problems. Uh, and a lot of their, their time, energy, and, and also military resources um, are sort of spent and focused in ways that are responding to a lot of those other things. So this is a particularly bad time for, for China, I think, uh, to be navigating uh, this, this latest sort of blow up in tensions with India. Well, uh, we're kind of coming, uh, we're kind of running out of time. So my last real question I have is um, who went in a fist fight, Modi or Xi Jinping? Oh, that's the important one. Um, <laughs> I'm really glad you brought this up. Uh, just, I just had the image in my head of Winnie the Pooh getting into a fight with Tigger or something, <laughs> like <laughs> just beating each other. <laughs> oh, oh bother! Oh bother! Oh, you goodness. took my honey, did you now? <laughs> it's all mine. I don't know why I would make you there a little bit, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it then Ryan was never it. heard from again. <laughs> it would Whether it was the Chinese Communist Party or Disney that went after him, no one will ever know. There would be a lot of slaps involved, but no gunfight after. They're not going to duel. They're just going to do this slap slap. Yeah. But, uh, well, any final thoughts? Are you guys ready to wrap up? I think it's hard to have clean takeaways from this one. It's It's so messy and complex and such a long lasting issue that uh, I think it's really worth watching and needs in, needs attention because it has huge implications uh, for India, for China, and for the whole broader uh, Asia Indo-Pacific region. But it's really hard to make clear claims about where things might go with any precision. Yeah. And this is, um, I I'd echo that. And just, it's important to keep paying attention and keep, you know, following these situations as they play out and not, um, you know, rush to any, um, like this is how, this is how things are going to be. This is how things are going to go. Um, it's, it's, it's important to the, the act of simply paying attention is, I just, something that 
think we promote here's podcast um, more than anything. So yeah. who knows where it's going to go, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yeah, there's so, enough. Yeah, uh, so I guess uh, stand by for a part two. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully not, because that'll mean something really hit the fan. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, that was almost thematic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.